still trying to understand Twitter. Are you signing up now because Elon Musk has bought Twitter? Uh, no, I just never have been signed up. Don't want to be signed up. I'm still trying to understand how it reaches so many people and how people get one-sided news on it and stuff. And now... Well, that's about to come to a close. It's going to have an algorithm now, that so favors now, one party. It's all an <laughs> algorithm. Elon Musk is going to open source and hopefully change the algorithm. Yeah, he's going to free speech that thing like crazy. <laughs> this week's episode we are uh excited because we are going to get to interview brother paul today um and this is something travis and i talked about in last week's episode um and part of the conversation i think surrounding it came up with um one one of the things my wife sent me about when you're over 35 you either have to know a lot about world war ii history or smoke meat like those are the two things that you have to get Mm -hmm. uh, around and i told travis i said the two things i've been interested in i've turned 38 a couple weeks ago. And the two things I've been interested in are history and smoking meat. <laughs> and so it kind of fit perfect. Uh, and in the middle of all of that, uh, as I was telling Travis, uh, brother Paul has been doing uh, a couple lessons, uh, with college students. And then with our senior adult group that went to Brenham on Texas Baptist history. And then there's a lot of Texas history in that. And so we thought it'd be interesting to just kind of have that time where we dive into the wealth of knowledge that is Paul um, and really get into that. So, um, but to kick it off, we got brother Paul here. So he's sitting here on the microphone contemplating if this is even something he wants to do. Um, (laughs) No, I'm contemplating you saying we're excited about this really and truly. I think it is. It's they're going like, well, you know, the pastor hadn't got to do this for a while. We need to let him in on this because we don't want him to stop us from doing this. I think it's a good deal, but Hey, to hear that, that's good. Uh, I hope I wouldn't bore you to death. Well, we could spend an hour talking about crappie fishing. I can do that for two hours. <laughs> Maybe next episode. Maybe next episode. We'll just get you and some of your fishing crew together, and we'll let y'all sit around the table and just hit record. That sounds good. And then good. y'all can just talk about crappie fishing for the whole time, and we'll stand in the back and just we watch. We might get the biggest podcast we've had yet. That's true. All the secrets and all the secret spots. Because So do you have like a honey hole on like Lake Nack oh. and on Lake Nackanich? And well, mainly on Rayburn. On Rayburn? Yeah. We just go fish everybody else's place what's your favorite lake to fish on around here is probably rayburn okay but you knack is second but your but your favorite thing to do is uh run well, trot lines well i love to catfish and crappie fish but i do like bass fishing also but uh i've gotten to where usually the older a person gets the more they calm down and they start crappie fishing and catfishing because they like to eat it instead of throw everything back yeah crappie is not bad to me i like crappie i think yeah. I, I like it because you feel like i mean you catch a bunch of them you well, catch so many of them and well, then, i brought all the staff a flays of crappie and catfish but there's still some i think in the refrigerator i, I think charles it, hasn't I taken it my yet. home yet i'm gonna give it away yet. no no charles i'll, take, got it, to go no, I'll get take it today i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry well, Dad. that's there for you i want you to have plenty <laughs> of fish because you eat a lot of fish to make you smart and we all need to be smart we got those omega-3s yeah, well, I mean, the good thing about the crappie is they make really good tacos. And everybody out there is going, well, what happened to our preacher if he's been eating fish all of his life? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Brain size of BB. Well, too much mercury can do. No, I'm just kidding. Have you ever, <laughs> so one of the, speaking of fishing, so when we went to Monument Inn last and we crossed the ferry across the channel. Oh, wow. That's you like good. Monument yeah. Inn? Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. It's it's really so good. If you're ever in the Baytown area, Monument Inn, you take a ferry across the channel. It's great. But they have a sign out there by the channel that says, do not eat too much of the, like this type of fish. And then it literally says, if you're pregnant, do not eat any of these fish. I'm like, how terrible is the fish in the channel right there? <laughs> like, got to be pretty bad. <laughs> how much toxic waste has been dumped in that channel where they're like, I just want you, you to remember it. they said that if you eat too much peanut butter, you get cancer. Well, they were feeding a rat a whole bottle of peanut butter every day for about five years you know he was just constipated was his problem <laughs> it's not cancer that's just a big old duty yeah that's funny. yeah that's awesome so yeah it's not gonna hurt you you know yeah. don't well, eat enough don't of it eat it houston ship channel fish might hurt you 
you may have to get a little bit further out to eat some good <laughs> good fish but well, that's funny because i know we're talking about fishing right now but uh lake livingston is a good catfish lake but it's a good catfish lake because of the trendy river it runs through fort worth and dallas just think of what's running through fort worth and dallas all the way down to lake livingston so no wonder they've got plenty to eat. Yeah, that's where all the bodies float, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just raw sewage right out of the city. You know, all the bodies from Dallas float down so, into uh, Livingston. <laughs> so you might think about that next time you eat catfish out of Livingston. But uh, anyway, yeah. on a more lighter note. Yeah, speaking of catfish, though, we are. I mean, if, if church members are listening to this, don't forget we do have a fish fry coming up on the twenty second of May. Uh, it's also going to be a great time because we're going to be doing some fundraising for our youth ministry for their camp um, and. We're excited about that. So May 22nd, uh, 6 p.m. here at the church. Make plans. It's going to be a good fish fry. Um, so that was a kind of an unnatural, natural segue. So that's cool. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. Be so, anyway, so today we're, we wanted to talk with Brother Paul about uh, Texas history. And Travis has only really heard this once. I think I've heard you kind of go through this maybe three or four times now. And each time there's little nuggets in there that you forget mm-hmm. about or that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Or, yes, that's the cool. That's a cool part. So. Um, so kind of background, you were pastor before Calvary Baptist Church. You were the pastor of Independence Baptist Church in Independence, Texas, which you have stated is the third oldest third oldest Baptist church in Texas, but the oldest active Baptist church yeah, in Texas. Yeah, continual Baptist continual church Baptist. in Texas. Uh, the old North Church was basically the first to be organized in Texas. There's a missionary Baptist church also, but it has its claim to fame. We're just right up the road from us here in Nacogdoches, really historical church. Uh, but it had closed. It had not had services at different times. Mm-hmm. It'd been closed, but, uh, independence was a continual, never closed its doors all these years, uh, since 1839. 1839. And so, uh, wow. it has a good history in that, but that's where a lot of, Baptist history has started from right there for Texas Baptist history and is something that people need to know about and not lose that historical value that we have right. where we've come from, even in the in Texas, yeah. uh, where all this started. Well, and I think that's interesting, too, because when we think about history and when we think about especially like Baptist church history, people go, oh, that sounds so boring. But when you understand the roots of where we are, even as our church now, how that blossomed from history and the activity of a church back in 1839, I think that was the more interesting part because we talk a lot about how they were primary in education. They were mission sending. They were, and we'll talk about all those things, but historically, I think that you can look at churches back in the 1800s and go, golly, they did more than we do. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. like they had such a drive and a passion, I think, to see the gospel spread. Whenever you look at our church, Calvary, right here today, uh, members, if you're a member of Calvary, some history you may not know about is this church here was a plant church from First Baptist. There weren't a lot of churches back 65 years ago in Nacogdoches like there are now in every corner. But it started our church on the east side. It needed a church over there, and they did, and they started it. And uh, this is one of the few churches that did not start from a split. And so First Baptist in Calvary didn't start from a split or trouble in the church. And it's been continual since then in a very active church, and so it's pretty unique in that history. And we, you know, I've always been grateful to First Baptist and I remember back when we had our 50th anniversary, we went over and thanked them with a delegation of how thankful we, they are for us. And so we call them our kind of our, our sister church, um, our, I guess that's what you'd put it. Like a parent church? Parent yeah. church, yeah. yeah and they're so, not our parents uh, anymore. We're like colleagues now. <laughs> we, we grew up. We grew up. <laughs> so we have a good, uh, and tradition, there's some good traditions, and that's a good tradition to carry forth. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, talking about history, I know you want me to – let me just start out and just share a little bit about about history. Uh, In the early 1800s, Texas, of course, was a place people were coming to because there were land grants being given. And, of course, whenever you crossed into the the Sabine River to come into Texas, if you're going to own land, the Catholic Church had a great rule over the land, and they would want you to be christened. You'd have to be christened before you could own land in the state of Texas. 
So that's the reason a lot of people will tell you about Sam Houston, that Sam Houston was Catholic uh, by his religion. And I hear this sometimes. People say we're Catholic or Baptist by our religion. Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, they're not a religion. They're supposed to be a faith. Our faith is Christianity. Our denominations are Catholic, Baptist, Methodist. Mm -hmm. We need to break that down and understand that. My faith is Christ Mm -hmm. in Christianity. And uh, you'll be amazed how many people don't understand those very parts. But uh, to own land, you had to do that. Um, Zian Morrell was one of the early circuit riding preachers. Zian Morrell came into Texas in the early 1800s. And as he came into Texas, he rode across Texas um, preaching the gospel, uh, preaching, he said, to the heathen. And he saw a lot of things that happened in Texas. And so in most of our history books, Texas history books, get this, you will see his name in the footnotes where they use what his writings as he wrote about Texas in those history books because they're fact and very historical. Wow. And so it's pretty amazing. Now, there's new history books coming out. I don't know if they, they footnote him what they do, but I think sometimes we have to be careful of the history we look, learn now because people tend to change that history mm-hmm. to fit their value or their system of, of what they believe in. So when he was talking about the heathens, was he talking about like just random settlers? Was he talking about Catholics? Absolutely. Native Americans, everybody? Yeah, the day before he came into Texas, he got on the ferry over at San Augustine. He was on the ferry to come across, and the guy there running the ferry said to him, he said, you should have been here yesterday. He said, a guy rode up on a horse and quickly summoned for me to come across to pick him up to take him from Louisiana to border into Texas. I hurried across, picked him up, and just as we got on the other side, before we could even get parked on the other side, he jumped off on riding on his horse, his horse off into the water up on the banks because a large group of of uh, men were pulling up on horses on the other side, calling me over uh, to come quickly, and it was a posse that was after him. And the man, as he rode up on the hill, he got off his horse and he said these words across the river. He says, Texas is a greater Savior than Jesus Christ because Texas saves men's souls while they're living, where Christ saves men's souls after they die, they're dead. And he kissed the ground, got up on his horse, and rode off because the ones on the Louisiana <laughs> side, that posse, could not follow him into Texas. And so as the story, and that's where Zian Morrell said, he said, boy, he said, I'm really preaching to the heathens in Texas. <laughs> and so he came across the river and spent a good portion of his life that, in Texas. That's what's interesting to me because we're not talking like, like we think of Texas now as like a settled Texas. It's beautiful and it's great. And we're talking like Wild West Texas almost. Let me tell like you, it was Wild then. West and even East Texas here was a wild place. Uh, there were Indians here. There were things like that. We don't understand that how wild this was. And just to think, the big thicket, there was no trails through it, just maybe a horse trail or yeah. cattle trail that went through it. And so that's kind of where you were in, in uh, with that. Now, let me just tell you, if you want a great reading, you need to get the book Flowers and Fruits in the Wilderness by Zian Morrell. It's his writings oh, cool. as he tells yeah. the story as he comes into Texas. So Flowers and Fruits in the Wilderness. Is that you still can, in publication? I think you can get it. Maybe. I think you can get the book at the Texas Baptist Historical Center there in Independence. Um, I still have some in my office. I've got some paperback copies. I had them brought back into print. That's been almost 20, 30 years ago. I had them brought back into print when I was there at the museum. You can get it off of Amazon? You uh, can. Yeah. Okay, it great. Is $35? Well, no. Good. That one. Well, I was selling him for ten dollars. So <laughs> this that one, was, this wow. one's twenty five ninety five. It looks like somebody's reselling it. But yeah, it looks like there's a few copies that are on wow. Amazon. So yeah, people are selling them used. There's hardback and there is paperback. So mm, I don't know what no. this is, but uh, it looks like it's a print to print on demand. Print, print on, on demand. demand. So as <laughs> as you order it, they print it and then send it to you. But you could always get it from the historical center, and they would mail it to you with probably a charge of shipping of a couple of bucks. But uh, I still have probably ten or twelve in my office. If you'd like one, uh, 
I'll just tell you, I'll give it to you. I I bought a whole two cases of one. Them. Yeah, I'll take one. I'll take one, and I'll I'll give you one. <laughs> All right, I'll sign it. I can sign it as the forty third pastor of Independence Baptist Church. Maybe one day it'll be worth. If y'all, I'm selling them for ten dollars. Maybe one day it'll be worth five dollars. You know, with my with my signature on it. Uh, but uh, yes, he came into Texas, and one of the histories I tell is about Baptist history. Of course, um, Independence was uh, organized in 1839 by J.P. Coles. Coles was one of the original uh, colonists to come in of the 300 uh, Coles settlement colony, Stephen F. Austin colony, um, and he came in and helped uh, start Independence Baptist Church there in uh, Independence, Texas. A little bit here, it's not an independent Baptist church. It is. It had become a Southern Baptist church. Uh-huh. So understand it's not a, people see Independence Baptist, it's named after the community, not after a denomination. Mm. And so Cole settled, settled in 1823 by J.P. Coles. He was one of the original 300 to come over with Stephen F. Austin Colony. And that's when Thomas Spragans, a few years later, three years later, well, in, in 1836, Independence was called Cole's Settlement, mm-hmm. but it renamed itself Independence to celebrate its independence from Mexico. In 1839, that's when Thomas Sprague, a, to, uh, a traveling preacher, came through to visit his children. He stayed there a while to help them organize the Independence Baptist Church, and it became what is now the third oldest Baptist church in the state of Texas, but his claim to fame is the oldest continual. That's one of yeah. his claims uh, to never shut its doors, and is still active to this very day. Uh, but uh, a lot of history started there out of that community. And sometimes it's where do I start in all the history because it has a lot to do with Baptist history. Uh, I think uh, as the community began to grow, it's hard to believe that that community grew close to 4,000 people there as you uh-huh. go through there now. It was a booming community. Uh, schools begin to start there. And, of course, what people don't understand when they think of Baylor University, they think of Waco, and then they think of the girls' school that moved that was in uh, University of Mary Harden Baylor, which yeah. is in Belton. They think of those two Baylor schools. But it started in Independence. And in 18, um, of course, in, in 1840, um, uh, about 44, uh, the pastor of the church, who was William Tryon, had expressed a need that education of higher learning come to Texas. And so he organized, uh, he wanted to organize uh, higher education right there in Independence. It was a booming place. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just so happened, Judge Baylor, who was a federal judge who had his courthouse right up the street, wanted to help and had that same desire that education start right there in Independence. Independence was on the list to be the state capital at one point. Of course, I'll tell you about it later, lost its bid for the state capital. And so Baylor University, uh, William Tryon and them chartered from the state of Texas, uh, this this school of learning, college or yeah. university as we call it now. A yeah, little history here too. Uh, you'll get two or three different stories on this, but it started out as going to be Tryon University. Uh, William Tryon, uh, Judge Baylor said it ought to be, since you started this out uh, to want to start this, it ought to be Tryon University. And so Baylor was going to carry this document to Austin and have it chartered in 1845, but uh, he could not go. And so William Tryon was able to go to Austin and have this uh, you know, chartered. And so as he went, he decided he would just let his good friend have its name. And so instead of Tryon University, he wrote down on the document uh, Baylor Hmm. University. Cool. And so the name became that that we see today. And, of course, it was uh, the first school of higher education to start in the state of Texas was Baylor uh, College. That's awesome. And so that's pretty awesome. Awful. In fact, the oldest junior college in the state of Texas came because of that, which is a Blinn College, which is in Brenham now. So you see that connection. Independence was then named the seat of education or the Athens of Texas. Athens of Texas means seat of knowledge or seat of education. And so that's what you'll hear it called now, Independence, the seat or the Athens of Texas. 
And so Baylor begins school there. And so I'm just going to get on the the school and just talk about it. The school, of course, began to grow. And one of the unique things there, after a few years in 18, um, um, in 1850, I'm going to say 51, something like that, the girls wanted to start going to school. And so what they did, the campus had been uh, built up, uh, west of the campus, uh, the Baylor University or school. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the women started going, they moved the guys and had built east of the church what is called the old Tryon buildings. Mm-hmm. There's a park there through both of them. You can still drive through today, and we did the other day. So up on the hill west of the church became the Baylor Female College for Women. And I always <laughs> thought it was funny how these women were female women, a female college. I mean, the <laughs> girl, solidify the, that. the female college for women, uh, maybe today we need to use those terms, but back <laughs> then I still don't understand it. Uh, but, uh, they moved the guys, the, uh, to the Tryon buildings, men's university of Baylor. So the guys were on the East side, the girls were on the West side. And what was unique every Sunday morning, the girls would march from the West Campus, and if you can see the church, the back of the church has two large wooden doors. Uh-huh. The girls would come in the West door, sit on the West side. The guys would march in from the East side, sit on the East side of the church. They would not allow the boys and girls to sit together in church. And so how that has changed through the years. Well, and talk about that, too, because when we were there, you were we got to sit in some of those old pews. So the pews that were like mm-hmm. original, even past the fire of the church and things like that. But they had pews of correction yes. at that point, didn't they? In fact, the front pews on both sides of the church were called the correction pews. And uh, if you had caused any uh, any disruption in the community, like drunken charges or... Uh, you know, something hadn't paid Sneaking your bills. Sneaking over to the boys' dorm. Right. You were, uh, <laughs> let's just say that uh, you were a member of that church uh, and you'd done something like that. You, When you came to church that next Sunday morning, you'd have to sit on the front pew and behind you would be elders or deacons that would sit there and you were not allowed to sing or speak during the service. You had to stay seated. You couldn't stand because you were there for correction. And so you were called out back then. Nowadays, church discipline, you just don't have church discipline Mm -hmm. because if the pastor talks to you about it, most people say, well, we'll just go join the church down the road. Church down the road doesn't know what I've done. Yeah, and so that's what they do instead of getting it right with the the Lord. And getting it right with the (laughs) Lord was getting it right with the people of the church, the body of Christ. It talks about it in Scripture. So a person who does not look at their life and get these things right are going against Scripture instead of saying, I'm wrong, I ask forgiveness of the Lord, and the church restores you. Well, that's what I think historically. Things were so much different back then. I mean, then the church was the seed, the hub of the community, right? It was. It was was the center of of politics. It was the center of... I mean, anything political had to go through the church. And so even the judge was a part of the church, Judge Baylor. I mean, you see these things. Sam Houston is a story I'll tell in just a minute. But, um, of course, in the church there, those correction pews, you also you'll see um, that pews three, four, and five on the west side of the church were where any college girls caused any troubles. They had to sit on those pews three, four, and five. You, there was a lot of students, by the way, that would come to church. It was a big college. I guess you'd call student ministry there at the at the church. They didn't know what it <laughs> was called back then. It was just ministry. you're going to come to church. That's <laughs> what you're going to do. You know, the, you had to come. There was no I don't want to come or I'm going to sleep in. You had to go, yeah. and so uh, they did. And that's funny. I wonder why on the other side, the east side, they didn't have numbered pews for the guys because they were probably the ones that started all the trouble anyway. Yeah, most likely. Uh, but, uh, But uh, to make a long story short, people ask, well, why did Baylor leave independence? Well, after the war between the states, the Southerners had put a lot of wealth into the Southern cause that people began to leave independence. It lost its vote for the county seat. And the reason is, is the railroads were coming through. And uh, even though there are more people in independence than in Brenham, Brenham turned out the vote and won the county seat vote by two votes and independence because of that, began to slip away because the railroads mm. went through Brenham. And so the schools stayed as long as they could. In 1886, Waco bidded on the men's school, different 
communities were bidding in Texas where the school would be. Waco made the highest bid and has moved there, and it's the Baylor Bears there now. Uh, Belton was bidded on by the uh, 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 Belton. Uh, now, get this, B-Dice, Texas. B-Dice, Texas, if you're going into College Station bef- uh, headed west, before you get into College Station or Bryan, you have the little community of B-Dice. Uh-huh. B-Dice there is down the, a back road, and right on that main road, what is that road, uh, 21? Yeah. You look off to the side, and um, you'll see the bank of B-Dice, B-Dice Bank. It, it's a big, beautiful bank yeah. out in the middle of nowhere, and there's never a car parked at it. There may be one, the, the teller. Why do they build that bank? What money laundering are they doing in <laughs> We actually you know? talked about money That's, laundering conspiracy <clears throat> theories in our last were, podcast. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking, Sherry and I always say, I wonder why that bank is out here in this B-Dice bank. B- but anyway, um, B-Dice w- lost the bid to Belton. And Belton got the school, and it's the university. Now, you, won't, you don't want to say uh, Mary Harden Baylor University. It's the University of Mary Harden Baylor. Mm. I ought to put it the University of Mary Harden Baylor, and some females go there. Yeah, female school <laughs> you know, of women. But it's kind of <laughs> unique. And, of course, it's co-ed now, and it's a, yeah. it's a great school. Uh, but it's just amazing how, like, an independence – because when you go to the church – there you can you can go by the side road right by the church kind of like a cross section uh-huh. right there at the church you go by that side road you go up just a little bit and like sam houston's mom's house is over here yes and then you come up a little bit more and you can still see the columns from the women's school right mm-hmm. the columns from the women's school still stand there yeah isn't that wild it's just uh, it started out as the men's school when they were moved of course the ladies took over that school and people go up there to set the blue bonnets and uh eat a picnic. Now is a beautiful time of the year to go with the yeah. wildflowers that awesome. are there. It's a beautiful community. But people say, really? Baylor started here? Yeah. So that's a little history uh, behind those schools. Of course, a famous person who was part of the church was Sam Houston. Sam Houston, of course, being a United States senator, uh, he moved to, uh, of course, he met a girl by the name of Margaret Lee. Now, of course, Sam had a shady past. Mm-hmm. At one point, and you read in the book, The Raven, uh, it tells about him living with the Indians. He was called the big drunk by the Indians. Uh, he was kind of a wild guy, but he was such a great leader. Uh, and he led out and brought help bring freedom to Texas, you know, and so uh, bring us to an independent state. Mm-hmm. And so being a senator, he's away a lot. And in 1853, he and his family, Margaret and the children, moved to Independence. Now, Margaret was a faithful Christian. Her mother, Miss Moffat Lee, lived in Independence and was a part, a member of the Independence Baptist Church. Whenever she was dating or being betrothed to uh, Sam, Mama didn't like it very much. She had great respect for Sam Houston as his leadership abilities. But she didn't like his past life that he wasn't a Christian. She knew him not to be a Christian. Well, Margaret was dating him, or they ended up getting married, and Margaret started bringing him and the children to church there in Independence because they moved there in 53, 1853. And so he started coming to church, and once on a Sunday morning, Sam Houston, under conviction, Dr. Burleson, who was the pastor then, also president of Baylor University, started talking to Sam about his salvation. Sam had always had a problem that if he took the Lord's Supper, even if he was a Christian, that he had been condemned to hell because he was trying to figure out what the Lord's Supper meant. And so it had a lot of dealings with that. But preaching out of Romans chapter 10, uh, Sam Houston came forward and asked the Lord to save him. That's awesome. And so in 1854, Sam Houston made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and became a member of Calvary Baptist Church. Now, he was baptized. Independence Baptist Church. uh, uh, Independence. I said Calvary. (laughs) I'm sorry. Independence Baptist Church. Yeah, that's the pastor in me that was pastor there. Sam Houston is a member here. You should be, too. (laughs) uh, So, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So... uh, Sam Houston, of course, on November 19th, 1854, was taken to Rocky Creek where they'd been baptizing people about uh, half a mile from the church uh-huh. uh, and baptized Sam Houston in Rocky Creek. Now, 
it was an exciting time. The whole town turned out to see Sam Houston baptized. We're talking about a lot of people. It's a cow field. Uh, uh, now you go out in the middle of a cow field and they let us, they would let me go drive out in their field and take a group of people and we'd baptize in the creek. We still did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still do. And they still do uh, at times time when there's enough rainwater. But to Sam was baptized in Rocky Creek by Dr. Burleson. And Dr. Burleson jokingly says, well, Sam, uh, your sins have been washed away. And Sam said, well, then I pity the fish downstream. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> tell, tell the part, though, about how Sam was baptized with okay, his wallet. Okay, let me tell this. That's a good story. Sam was actually baptized with his wallet in his pocket. He forgot to take his pocket watch out. It ruined it. But Sam told the pastor, baptize my wallet also. And he was <laughs> baptized with his wallet in his pocket in Rocky Creek there. And the reason is, Sam says, if you're going to have all of me, you're going to have all of me. And uh, he, that was quite a story. But get this, in the minutes of the church, you have it written down, Sam was very uh, giftful through his giving to the schools, to different organizations, to the church. But he paid half the preacher's salary for the years he lived. Uh, he went to church there in Independence. Wow! I would love to baptize a church full of people like that. <laughs> Amen. We, we would I'm second telling that. You. Most definitely second that one. Amen. <laughs> but uh, it, it's amazing to see now, Miss Nancy Lee. When Sam was saved, she was so excited over his his salvation that she purchased from the state of New York had a bell cast. Uh, to commemorate her son-in-law's conversion. Now, Miss Moffat Lee was quite a business lady. She owned a lot of land. Uh, she had the money to do so. Uh, she paid 500 pieces of silver to have that bell cast in that commemoration of Sam. Uh, now, some people always said in the history, when I got there, they were saying, I heard some people saying, she put 500 pieces of silver in the bell. And so I said, I wonder if that foundry is still there. And so I wrote the foundry, and the foundry wrote me back a document, the re- a copy of the original document of order and founding of that bell. And it's in the museum. You'll see that down there in the museum where they said, and by the way, uh, the silver was not put in the bell. She paid 500 pieces of silver for the bell the price of the bell, because if you were to put the silver in the bell, it would not have its tone that it has. The bell is 78 parts copper. The rest is tin, and that's what they put those balances in the bell to give it its tone, its ring, and since it was a church bell, they wanted to make it a certain piercing tone for the community to hear, and so that's the bell that was in that bell tower. Uh, Just think, she was so excited over her son-in-law's conversion that she cast a bell to commemorate that. And it's still in the museum down there it today. Is. The bell hung in the bell tower until 1969. The pastor, they were ringing the bell one Sunday morning, and it fell from the bell tower mm-hmm. and cracked into about three pieces. It's been repaired. You'll see it in the museum. The bell that's now in the bell tower there, a little bit of history here, is from the old Catholic mission in Somerville, which is about 10, 12 miles away. It's a had some history, great history to it. They went over there to a a, a community that was dying, a, a church that was, and they asked him, could we purchase the bell? Guess what the Catholics allowed? They said, we're not going to allow you to buy it. We're going to give it to you. That's awesome. So we got a Catholic bell now hanging in a Baptist bell tower, <laughs> but every time it rains, it gets sprinkled by the Methodist, okay? So it's a it's a... Uh, we ring that bell. In fact, every time a person was saved at Calvary, excuse me, at Independence, every time someone was saved, we allowed them, we we gave them a, they allowed them to go out and ring the bell. And it was just a commemoration of a person's salvation. And hopefully they're still doing it today. It was a great thing. But you cut the chain to that bell when you were pastor there, didn't you? Yeah, we had to cut the chain because with two colleges of Blinn and Texas A&M, the Crossroads 50, they would come through at 2 and 3 at night, and they would ring that bell, especially on the weekends while you're sound asleep, and it would wake everybody up. So we cut the chain off, and now we have a hook. You have to reach way up into the bell tower to get the chain to ring it and made it to where they can't do that at night. But I'd have probably been one of those college students, too, to do that. Well, and if also. you're ever going through Independence and it's 2 or 3 in the morning, 
Pastor Dylan Price is still out there at the. Uh, yes, he is. He's out there at the parsonage, right near the new sanctuary across the road from it. So just <laughs> grab you a stick with a hook on the end, and you ring the fire to that thing yeah, and drive I, off. In fact, when I go through it, I'm going to go through one night, and I'm just going <laughs> to ring that thing like crazy. I'm going to prepare for it and ring it. So that's some great history there. Now, Sam, of course, moved uh, from Independence in 1959 back to uh, Huntsville. And, of course, in 73, Sam died of pneumonia mm. there uh, um, in, in Huntsville. He's buried there. Of course, Margaret moved back to Independence with the children in 67. And uh, it was good to take care of her aging mother uh, so her kids could attend college, their schools, the schools that were there. Uh-huh. She died in, uh, uh, boy, I don't want to get the dates wrong. I'm afraid I'll miss them, mix them up. I guess I could look. I have a little cheap sheet here to kind of give me some of that remembrance of it. Was it was but, it Margaret's mom that that had the uh, see through casket? Yeah, Ms. let me Moffitt tell you Lee? about that story. Uh, in '67, so uh, Margaret Margaret moved back to Independence. In '67, she died of yellow fever, and this is something of history. When she died of yellow fever, there she died on a December second, right at about 11 p.m. Actually, on December 1st, she died. She was buried at 1 p.m. the next day, that morning, uh, right across the street from the church next to her mother. Mm. Uh, and um, the pastor of the church would not do this, any service because people were so afraid of yellow fever. Mm-hmm. And so she was buried there. Uh, you'll notice that in that same gray plot are two other burial uh, stones. That's by the Houston servants who stayed on after she died to take care of the children. They asked to be buried next to Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Moffitt, Lee, and Margaret because uh, they were part of the family. That's awesome. They were friends. They're servants. And so they weren't really as slaves. They were servants. They had their own house to live in, places that they lived. They had raised their own families, but they were allowed to be buried there also. That's and cool. so it's pretty unique to see that relationship that we don't understand sometimes. Um, people don't know about it, that in slavery. Uh, you know, we hear the bad stuff, but there was good things going on there. The Independence Baptist Church, in, a, in 1867, after the Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves that were a member of the church, and I say slaves and servants, they asked that the church help them build a church. So... The church chartered in 1867 the Liberty Baptist Church right up the road. You'll see it about a quarter mile up the road. Still there, yeah. There is still there today, still active today. As the um, uh, was and, and the names were that the Black Church. Mm-hmm. That's what it was called back then. People now want to distinguish the names. That's what it's called. It was the Black Church, um, uh, and so it was. All that history is so tied up in all that. Uh, the pastor and I of that church, when I was there, that I knew for Mr. Johnson for about about 12 years, we were good friends. Mm-hmm. And we were in both each other's church from time to time. Uh, we had uh, services together. So it was pretty unique uh, to see that history still going on. You ask about... Uh, uh, Moffat Lee. Was it she the one yeah. that had the... The pine S- casket. Uh huh. Sam Houston's mother-in-law, uh, Miss Lee, uh, she was a little eccentric. She wanted to be buried in a glass-windowed casket, so she purchased and had built for her a casket that had a window in it. And uh, of course, for years, she kept it upstairs under her bed, kept her valuables in it, knowing that nobody would go close to a casket, or even the grandkids wouldn't dare go close to a casket. But one day she decided i'm going to pull that casket out because it hasn't been out from under the bed in a long time she pulled it out and um she the lid had a stick that held the lid up and she got inside that casket and not knowing to her some of the grandkids had come up and saw grandma laying in that casket one of them started screaming she jumped up frightened and hit the stick that held that big heavy lid up it came down and hit her on the head and knocked her out cold actual story uh, there she was laying in her casket, knocked out. Now, she recovered, had a slight concussion. But when she did die uh, some years later, she was buried in her glass window casket 
and placed in the vault that is still standing across the street. Now, she's not in that vault anymore. She was there about 20 years in that casket. A veil was placed over her face uh, in that vault. But when the glass cracked on that casket, they buried her there in that graveside next to her daughter who had died of yellow fever. So that's the story there. But they asked why glass window casket. She was such a woman of faith. She says, I want people to be able to look in and see my shell, but know that I had gone on to be with the Lord. Hmm. So she had that faith and that belief that was so strong that she was going to be in the bosom of Abraham the moment she died. And she was. And that one day that spirit would come back and come back into that body. Man. And so what a story that is. There's a, there's a lot of history else, and I know I'm gonna, we're going to have to quit here in just a few minutes. But for Baptist history, just think, the first missionaries sent to Brazil were the Bagbys. They were sent out through Independence Baptist Church through the mission program. Uh, the Bagbys of Brazil, you, when you read about missions in Brazil, no matter what denomination, they're always going to tell you about, well, the Bagbys of Brazil, the <laughs> first missionaries sent there into Brazil. Uh the Bagbys lost one of their young children in Brazil mm-hmm. to uh, to fever, and she made a statement. She says, "What? Who am I to think of um, to no great loss? But one of the greatest losses is people not hearing the name of Jesus." Mm. And so it was a, a great story. Miss Fanny Breedlove Davis—that's a good Baptist name, isn't it? Fanny, Fanny. Breedlove Davis. Uh, she uh, she and her husband were the uh, she was the organizer of women's WMU. And so to think started through that church right there. So that history there, George Washington Baines was the president of Baylor, pastor of the church, was our the great-great-grandfather of Lyndon Baines Johnson, our 36th president. Huh. Hmm. Don't y'all appreciate me knowing those presidents? This, 36 this presidents, wealth by the way. Knowledge. Look oh, at I'm that. so so could wise, you, you're you so wise, Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yes, because uh, you eat all that fish. Live long and prosper, huh? All that, uh, yeah, all that fish we eat. No, um, but that's just a, a start of the history. I've got a lot of history, and I don't want to go too far. Is yeah. there other questions you want to well, ask? I mean, I, I guess for me, it's kind of like because when I hear the history of it, I try to think of how that history is applied to us today because that's the only way that I think that we learn is we learn through history, either the positives of history or the mistakes of history. We, we, we learn from those things and we propel forward. So like, let's say for here at Calvary Baptist church, what are some things that we can learn or glean from history that can help us say, okay, there's still like mission. There's still work. There's still, you know, not everybody knows Jesus type thing. Yeah, I think the thing we don't want to lose this great history because especially the history of the church, and if we're not careful in a modern time like we live in with the communications that we have, which are wonderful, like we're doing right now, uh, all we hear in the news now is Twitter and all this and stuff like that, which I still don't understand it all, but whatever. And uh, the thing is, is that we don't want to lose the the focus of the church. Yeah. The church was a viable part of a community. It was the center of their life was the church. And today we're losing that value of the church. And, and it's, it's a call to our membership, it's a call to those around us, especially those who are members of Calvary Baptist Church, to not lose the focus of the church with so many other activities that are going on that one of the first focal places in your life ought to be is your family in the church. Yeah. If you miss that, if you miss that being the focus of your church, your children and your grandchildren are going to have the greatest potential of being lost yeah. and not knowing Jesus Christ. And so we need to make our focus that uh, there's a lot of good things in our community to do, a lot of fun things to do. There's extracurricular activities that we do. They're great and they're okay. There's nothing. They're not sinful until we make them sinful. And so we need to remember our focus ought to be in the church with our families to not lose that part, the value of it, to not lose the focus of the, the Scripture and what the Scripture says is truth of how to live our life, not community to tell us how to live our life. And so if it takes a village, well, it takes a church in the middle of that village. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
Uh, well, so for me too, like I'm thinking through, we're we're seeing such a big push, especially in our current culture, to remove any history that we feel like is negative or off-putting from what we want our kids to know. And mm-hmm. to me, that's to me that re- removing facts and removing information because we disagree with it. I mean, it's like a 1984 like story revisionist history. Yeah. It's like that revisionist. Yeah. Like, so I think of like George Orwell, I think of like even his thoughts back then of saying, we're getting to a point where people are going to only want to hear the things they want to hear and they'll correct whatever they need to, to make it match their narrative. Um, I I think just hearing about that history is important for us as a church because we go, wait a second, these things happen. These things are real. I mean, you can go to the Independence Church right now. You talk about Sam Houston. You can go to Independence Baptist Church, the old building right now, and there's flags right next to a pew. And in the pew in front of where, where if you sit on those flags in the pew in front, you'll find a notch right mm-hmm. there in that pew. And that's where Sam Houston would would carve and do while he was sitting in church. Yeah. And he carved his initials on that pew uh-huh. and his wife's initials on that pew, Margaret Lee. So he and he, uh, he uh he vandalized church property. He sure did. He whittled every service. When you pay half the salary did. of the when pastor, you, you can do that. Yeah, you know, you do that, I'll let you get away with it. No, I paint the church. I'm I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Okay. Well, I no, don't know. I mean, um, if we can get half the church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, wow. But he would whittle trinkets. Get this. He It was a nervous habit that he had, you hmm. know. Uh, he would whittle little trinkets and at the end of the service give it to a child. So um, Sam Houston had ADHD, so there's hope for me. <laughs> they just didn't know how to define it, just to beat you, beat it out of you back there. Thank you. And until you in my age, it. was to give you castor oil, you know, to get <laughs> it out of you. Another thing that stood out to me and all that with the history of Baylor and, and all the colleges mm-hmm. that were formed around there is like it seems like the church today doesn't value education as much as it used to. Mm-mm. And I mean, you can go all the way back to like Thomas Aquinas and like the first universities that were founded in in Europe. I mean, like the church. And education used to go hand in hand, and I feel like we've divided school as like a secular thing now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In fact, the Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved. We're to be learning to growing. Uh, when education, though, if education takes over God in your life, then that's where, that's where you begin to fail. Uh, it but, should never proceed God. Well, and education comes God-given. Yeah, he gave us our brain, and that's what I think has happened in culture. Like we've like what you're saying, we've siloed that out to say, well, the church helps us grow in our spiritual like walk, and then you know school helps us grow in knowledge, and then you know this helps us grow in this, and so church has just become like another nugget of some sort of like a foundation. Like if you were to have like a foundational stone, church is just kind of one of those stones, right? Where, but we learned in scripture that Christ is the rock to build the rest of everything else on top of. And I think that's where it's interesting for us to hear about the history of how education started in Texas. It started from the church because the church realized that education can only be viewed through the lenses of your relationship with Jesus. It can't be viewed outside of that. And well, so they've become way more liberal, but that's like why all the Ivy league schools started off at seminaries. Yeah. Well, they're all private schools, right? The way I see it, in, in if if you if you tell yourself a lie long enough, you'll begin to believe it. Mm-hmm. You can make yourself believe that something happened in your life and you did something by telling the story or telling something happened over and over and over again until you feel like you believe it. And that's the lie we get taught in a lot of different theories that come about. We hear like critical race theory, things such as this, which is, hey, by the way, a theory is an unproven thing, by the yeah. way just like evolution is a theory. Uh, It's not proof. It's not true. These are lies, but they're telling them over and over and over again. And a young society growing up, once they hear them over and over and over, they begin to take it as truth. Mm -hmm. And so don't think the devil doesn't know how to work. But the thing that we can know is truth to go back and look at history and see what true truth is, the truth of history. Why are monuments all over our country? We have these monuments because they're a point in time of history. Mm -hmm. When you tear down those, why would you tear them down? You tear them down so 
a new society coming up doesn't see them and doesn't want to doesn't ask about their history. Yeah. So you get them out of the way; they're not visible anymore. You take the visible pew away uh, of those those histories, and all of a sudden now you're able to teach a lie. But America, in its founding history, started out in the pews. It started out. Get this, Baptist. Baptists were the found, were the leaders in religious liberty or liberty to be able to be free, to be able to speak your mind, to be open, to hear both sides of the issue. Baptists were those people. Well, it's because they didn't want to submit to the Church of England, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, reality, yeah. I mean, when you look at the Puritans and when you look at those who are leaving England in droves, they thought we, we want the freedom to be able, and they had freedom in England. They're like, yeah, you can do that, but here's what's going to come from you doing that. And they, they said, this is too much. And so can you imagine you would rather risk your life across open water to come to a land you've never been at before than to stay somewhere and to be persecuted because you just want liberty. Right. How come a priest can tell me that I can't open the Bible and read it myself and interpret it when the Holy Spirit tells me once I become a say, a, a, a Christian, I've given, been given that precious it's gift the, of in, Beauty of reading scripture and understanding it through the Holy Spirit. The beauty of Protestantism. So there you go whenever you look at our founding fathers who were religious. Yeah. There are only three of our 56 founding fathers that didn't claim to be Christian. But all in all of it, people call them atheists and agnostics and all this. Still, whenever they talk about God, they prayed. Uh it, it just doesn't make sense if you look at history, but they want to wipe that history away. Yeah. And so if you take, if you lose focus on your local church or on that body of Christ, if you've lost focus, I'd encourage you to get that focus back because you'll lose your family if you continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to have to start wrapping up here in a second, but I think one of the things that, that I can pull away from this is that as a church, it's important for us to grow from our history instead of try to erase our history. Um, and I think that that, if that's a pull that we're seeing in, in our secular culture right now, that secular culture is trying to pull history out of our minds and just try to create from like a, a, a new base, a new standard. Uh, I think the church can quickly succumb to that too. And so I think that as a church, we have to remember not everything that the church did back in, back in the day was smart and not everything that the church did back in the day was was what we would consider culturally appropriate now. Um, but we have to think of the context back then. There's a lot of things in scripture that aren't culturally appropriate that we would not consider culturally appropriate now, like you know, uh, hanging somebody on a cross for everyone to see. We wouldn't see that to, to die. We didn't see that as culturally appropriate now. Like We're not going to do that. Right. You know, and, you know? I, and I could continue to talk about that. Even in Independence Baptist Church back in those early years, if a young college student got up to give a chair to for a lady to sit in, one of the girls, one of the ladies, he had to take a, his handkerchief and open it up, place on the chair for her to sit on because cleanliness was next to godliness. They, those were things that were built in their minds, and it sounds so crazy today, but it caused them to think. Well, even now, like chivalry in and of itself is is being removed from culture, like there's that push of, of, well, we don't need men to open the door for us. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not saying you're feeble and can't open a door. I'm just trying to be polite, you know? And so, yeah, I think that there's even some of those things that we're seeing our culture try to erase or remove so that we can just kind of be this amoeba of society that just kind of moves and grows with whatever trend is, is popular in the moment. So, well, that's a, that's a different story for another time, I think. <laughs> we probably could. But if you want me to talk about that, I sure will. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, that'd be, be the most listened to episode I, we have. Do you hear this let, crazy let pastor say down that, in uh, just Is politically correct? I'm not politically correct. I'm gracious mm -hmm. and kind to every person. I would never try to harm somebody I don't agree with or brutalize them, but I will tell them truth. Yeah. And if they want to hear it, everybody's entitled to my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh well travis you got any other thoughts for us i mean you've kind of we've kind of we travis and I, it's been great we kind of sat back and got to absorb instead of yeah, really no, i've just been, in. been listening because um so when i was in the seventh grade which is when people do texas history 
like I went to a private school, so I never took Texas history. So I'm just soaking it in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one one thought I had was just like, even if someone doesn't really care about history, but you're trying to understand today's culture, like the easiest way to understand where we are now is to start going backwards in the past and seeing Absolutely. where we came Very from. Good. Yes. So even if you're not like a history buff, you know, you haven't turned 35 and you're not smoking meat yet. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're even interested in cultural things, political things, like if you're just trying to understand how the heck did we get to where we are today? Yeah. It's like, well, just start looking back at history and you can start to piece things together. Yeah. Yeah. Be wise enough to not let somebody, even me, don't let me tell you something and you go, oh, I believe it because Pastor Paul said it. Search it out. The truth, the truth will set you free. When these, when our society is telling you one thing, go back in history and say, huh, I want to just see what it was then and see what it is and it will shock you. Yeah. It will shock you how far we have fallen. And and look at the dates on those things. I mean, one of the I did a research project where I looked at Lily Grove Baptist Church here in town. I mean, eighteen eighty eight was its formation. And when we talk about like even history, we talk about why there's so many churches in Nacogdoches, Texas. Like I can't believe we got a thing, Lily Grove, north of town. That was a big hub of a church for mm-hmm. communities that were mm-hmm. growing north of town. And you had people coming from the mall area over to Lily Grove. They would ride horse and buggy over or walk. They would spend all day Sunday at the church house mm-hmm. because it was a full trip. Well, they got tired of, as the community out in mall grew, they got tired of always having to travel over to Lily Grove. So they started Mall Baptist Church and had a pastor over there. Mm-hmm. Now we drive around in a car at 70 miles an hour. And we're like, God, there's a church, there's a church, there's a church there. Back in the 1800s, early 1900s, you didn't have 70 mile an hour car. You you had limited transportation. And so they tried to create these spaces where they could have church in their communities. So now we look at it and go, man, there's a church on every corner. It's like, well, yes, now, but when we look at it from the perspective and the lenses of history, it's like, now I understand why that church is there. Not Mm -hmm. so much, you know? And so it's just interesting how, um, seeing how churches have grown and moved and transitioned, how communities have grown and moved and transitioned. So I think that's a good, a good thing for us to remember especially as members of a church that our history here at Calvary, you know, we are in our uh, 60, I think in terms of actual formation, 63rd year. 63rd. Yeah. Cause we were chartered yeah. in 1959. Yep. We, we were started as a mission in 1957, chartered in 1959. And we are now, so we're like 63 mm-hmm. years. And yeah, at 65, we need to do something probably. Let's smoke meat. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Risk it for everybody. Risk it for everyone. Risk it for everybody. I'd like to say to the church, our church, we love you guys yeah, uh, and gals. We love you so much. Uh, just appreciate you and thank you for what you do for the Lord. And uh, and we do want the best for you. Yeah. We, we want the best for you. Um, it's a strange world we live in. But we're mm-hmm. going to keep going forward. We yep. won't go backwards. Yeah, we're going to keep pushing forward, and that's for us. I mean, at Calvary, we're transparent about our history. We're transparent about who we are as a church. We're so thankful for First Baptist Church and their uh, desire to see churches be planted in our community and growing. Um, and now, even though we have churches on every corner, we do know that uh, as a church, we have a responsibility to partner with churches in our community and help them continue to thrive and grow and do those that are biblically sound and are pushing the message of the gospel. We want to see them continue to, to grow too. But, you know, that's another topic for another day. I'm sure we could jump into it and on another podcast, but, um, Paul, thank you so much for hanging thank out you. with us today. I mean, yeah. it's been, it's always fun to hear this and, and get those little tidbits and soaking up those, those things of knowledge and, I'm sure if you want more information about it, you can call him up and say, hey, let's grab lunch. Let's talk more history. If you're a history buff, I'm sure that he's got way more information in there uh, than what he gave us on a on a brief synopsis today. So He's I, nodding like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah. I, I would look <laughs> like, he's got like 10 pages in front of him of just notes. Um, but I, I love how it's been 22 years since you've pastored and at Independence and been the curator of that museum giving tours. Mm-hmm. And when I see you do it, even today, it's like you haven't skipped a beat. Like, you know, all that information still, like you have yeah. it down pat. It was enjoyable. And I have right now three stories I would wish I could share, but that'd be another time because <laughs> we'll there's wonderful stories about human nature. 
history and human nature. Oh, but, man. Uh, All right. Part two. <laughs> next week. A part, part two. two. <laughs> part two yeah, sometimes. So, but anyways, well, guys, thank you so much for chiming in and listening today. Again, if you always have questions or comments for us, we want to hear them. We want to know. Um, keep sending those things in. We still have some through emails that we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we even approach this topic? Um, so we are always listening to those things. So please, please send those to us. And uh, yeah, so other than that, we hope that you have a great week, that you have a blessed week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.